welcome to the Pinkham podcast. You may recognise I'm not Dave Freezer. Uh, I'm kind of south or standing in for Dave, who's uh, got a week off. I think it's his, uh, his Mrs. birthday, so we'll let him off. Although I did mean he, he missed Southampton, so he uh, he might have got the, the better end of that deal. So uh, coming from a room inside a Premier Inn this week, uh, to, to add to our glamorous locations this season, uh, I'm kind of south or joined by Paddy Davitt. Paddy, uh, first and foremost, uh, what have you made of the rooms? I, th- I think that's where we've, where we've got to start, really, isn't it? Funny enough, Connor, I'm just looking underneath your bed here and uh, Premier Inn additional bedding. I think you've had the better end of the bargain here yeah? because I didn't have any towels as well. Not that we want to talk about <laughs> first world press travelling problems, but uh, when you get to Rubens and hotels, maybe that was the tone set. Although we did get down here rather more smoothly than it sounds like a lot of Norwich fans did, did not it? I mean, we came down on the train, but uh, taking the temperature on, the, on on social media when we got to St Mary's last night, there seemed to be quite a few who'd uh, had to endure some nightmarish. And I think then after the game, I, somebody tweeted me and I retweeted, I think the M25 was partially closed as well. So kudos to those fans who turned up in their numbers, in good numbers, um, because there wasn't a lot really to uh, warm them up in terms of what we saw in, on the pitch and uh, as we all know 2-1 defeat as I tweeted it uh, during the game felt like two steps forward and definitely one back last night so um, yeah more questions and answers and, and that's that's the frustration because obviously we we did that award winning uh, Facebook live on uh, on the train on the way down and basically said that this game last night was one where it just another link in the chain of yeah okay this group of players can compete, can go away from home, can get results and sadly we're left uh, looking again at some of the frailties we've seen on the road too often already. Yeah, uh, before I, I touch upon the football, I, I think the additional bedding is, is because they knew how tall I was, so no, it, it means, means I could stretch out, yeah, um, as, as for the towels, yeah, luxury for those, but I, I think you're right, we did make the right decision with the train, um, I will delve into the football now, I think I've put it off for, for long enough, um, that, that first half where to start with that because that was probably as bad as we've seen Norwich this season I think yeah I mean I've put the pointers up on, on com this morning and point number one was felt like Burnley again um, in the manner of the goals it conceded in the manner they were bullied by a team pressing high um, and whereas Burnley you had uh, you know had a makeshift back line of Amadou and Godfrey um, alas we had uh, which by common consent I think is Norwich's best centre-back over the last two years 18 months Christoph Zimmerman was in there and they were no less resistant to set pieces, and uh, yeah, that that was for me the, the the low blow in that performance that you felt that was behind them. Now that Zimmerman, as good as he is aerially, good organizer, um, they wouldn't be as susceptible to those type of attacking threats. But essentially, that the game boiled down to you know switching off on two set pieces, and I know that that has now sparked the usual debate about the zonal marking whys and wherefores but essentially Daniel whenever pressed on that topic whether it's zonal or man to man says you need to go and be aggressive and meet the ball and uh, both occasions I'm sure people have seen the highlights if they didn't watch it live um, Norwich were far too easily pierced there and uh, yeah definitely as soon as those goals went in and then you see them back on replay and you see the same trigger moves from Shane Long last night Chris Wood at Burnley you see a ball whipped in over Kenny McLean's head at the near post you know that's the frustration because you can guarantee that Hassan Hootle, Southampton's manager, and his coaching staff, when they're doing their preparation to this game, they'll look back at a lot of Norwich's games. I'm sure they looked at that Burnley game, 
and they've almost mirrored it. They've gone two up top, four four two, pressed high, and and just like Burnley, Norwich can handle it, and that is a big worry because the more teams at this level cotton on to a vulnerability, the more you can be sure they're going to try and, and, and push for any weakness. And of course, who's up next at Carrow Road? Sheffield United, a team who are not backward at coming forward in terms of the aerial threat. Yeah, you, you touched upon it there. For me, there's there's a worrying trend emerging with, with Norwich City. It's that when they do face teams who can press them and do want to engage in a little bit of an arm wrestle, that they just fail to compete a little bit. Um, and, and there were numerous times we we saw them try and play through the press last night where it just felt like either they didn't have the quality or they didn't quite have the awareness to move the ball at the speed it, it, it needed to be moved. Um, and, and you're right, there were lots of parallels between that, that Burnley performance, I'd probably say the Brighton performance as well for, for a lot of it. And yeah. they just didn't seem to have the same competitive edges as they've had in recent weeks for me. Absolutely. Um, and then you contrast it with Everton, which was the first away win, the first clean sheet. Everton essentially let them do what they wanted. They didn't press high. Uh, they sat back. Maybe there was an arrogance uh, implicit in that that, you know, this is Norwich. They concede a lot of goals. Uh, they're a bit lightweight. We'll just roll over them how we want to do it. And on that day, Everton weren't good enough and Norwich cashed in at full advantage. Arsenal, likewise, yes, there was periods of that game on Sunday at Carrow where they did look to press, but not with the collective intensity and with two out-and-out strikers in the manner that Southampton and Burnley Brighton, yeah, there's a good shot as well. They played two up, didn't they? So, yeah, that, as I say, that there are questions being asked of this Norwich squad and whoever's in that back line, and it's not clearly just a focus on the back line, but at set pieces, you expect your defenders to be far better. Um, and the answer every time, more or less, is that Norwich aren't able to withstand that. And until they can find a remedy, then, uh, then they're going to, as you rightly say, and as Daniel was saying after the game, have to be far better at what they're trying to do to impose their game and their style on opponents. And all we saw last night was what we've seen in, in the worst periods of that run from Man City to Everton, which was, as you see, a laboured attempt to play out from the back and then it ends up with essentially Tim Krull just launching it then because uh, they've ran out of ideas. And, and then, of course, Timu Pukki's not going to win too many balls in the air against two or three big centre-backs and then the ball just comes straight back. So, yeah... As much as Norwich have been okay in the last two games, you see a performance like Southampton and the manner of the goals it conceded and how much of that was what the opponents were or weren't doing in the cases of Everton and Arsenal. That's the concern because, as I say, risk of repeating myself, you can guarantee Sheffield United will turn up and they will, at every opportunity, try to get set-piece opportunities and try and launch the ball into Norwich's box. So, you know, they weren't good enough at St Mary's on Wednesday night. They're going to get tested again on Sunday at Carrow Road. They certainly are. Uh, just just to lead on, and we will hear from Daniel Farker shortly about the issue you just said in, in, in terms of them getting bullied, I think, in, in his words. Um, th- there were numerous times last night where you almost could have drawn a line straight down the middle of the pitch and, and it had Norwich's almost defensive players and their attacking players. And then it, within that was, was the Southampton midfield. And it, it felt like, particularly in that first half, there, there wasn't necessarily a joining factor between the two. And that meant when Norwich did lose the ball in, in that defensive third, Southampton were able to flood that area with bodies. And, and that's why they did create so many opportunities. And um, that's, that's why they did win a, a lot of set pieces. And, and, and I think that's the frustrating element. But I want to speak about zonal marking slightly before we, we hear from Daniel Farker, because there's a, a lot of people who perhaps are, are not against it. It's probably a bit strong, but it isn't their preferred method of, of, of defending set pieces. Where do you sit with it? What's your view on it? You know what? I mean, I don't 
get too caught up in like some sort of philosophical tactical debate when it comes to to really for me, I guess it comes down to the players Norwich have got. I mean, if they had you know big robust out and out man marker types, you know I think of Brighton's too. Um, Burnley have got some big boys, haven't they? Um, then maybe Daniel would look at that and think, okay, we can set up in a man to man style for whatever reason, whether it's I mean, I'm trying to think now. I think as long as he's been here, we've we've kind of had the zonal system. I don't think it's that we've he's now shifted to zonal. I think as a coach, clearly his philosophy uh, in that area of his setting his team up is is to prefer the, the zonal system. And you know, this isn't a new debate. We've had this at periods during his his tenure, and whenever he is pressed on it, um, he, he clearly is a believer that that is the right way to go with the available personnel slash his own coaching philosophy and. He will say, and I'm sure we will ask him again in the lead-up to the Sheffield United game, that it's about aggressivity. It's about players going and meeting a ball, not just uh, you know essentially patrolling an area and then you know re- trying to react. Of course, it's too late then. When you've got players like James Ward-Prowse on a ball, he's as good as anybody, I think, in the Premier League at delivering a set-piece. You know, It's too late then. Once the ball's in flight um, from, a, from an operator as good as that, the second goal is... is underlines it totally if you're if you're anti-zonal that's that's the only uh illustration you need to put on the table because Shane Long is not anywhere as big as Ben Godfrey or Christoph Zimmerman yet he's ran around the back of Zimmerman and ran in front of Godfrey because those two are stood in the middle of the goal and, and you assume with a with a responsibility to patrol that area but when a dim, more diminutive striker is able to rise above both centre-backs and meet that Initial flick on, and then of course, then Ryan Bertrand is alive to to the opportunities at the back post. Then you can understand why a there's question marks about zonal, and b why possibly a man to man system would be better. But you know, for me I, personally, I, I, I'm not particularly hung up on either. I, I just feel it's what suits the players Norwich have got, and what is the manager's philosophy in this area, and on both methods. Unless he has a radical rethink, I think it's going to be zonal for the foreseeable. Yeah, I think I think you're right. There are a lot of parallels between man marking and zonal marking. Fundamentally, it comes down to a player doing their job correctly. And to me, it feels like zonal marking is almost a way of team defending a corner as opposed to sort of shifting the responsibility on individuals. But um, who better to speak about it than Norwich City boss Daniel Farker? Uh, you, you asked him about... Well, maybe not Zona marking specifically, but but you asked him about Norwich's uh, physicality or, or lack of last night. Uh, here's what he had to say. First of all, we are disappointed because we have to return to Norwich uh, without any points, and we were greedy today to to win some points. Um, I think it was a game of of two different halves and the perfect role model. Where it's so important for us to to stick to our principles because in the first half. Um, we were not brave enough to, to play our football. Yeah, of course, Southampton is, is a really good pressing side, especially in the, in, the, in the home game. They are always well structured, aggressive, but we were not brave enough to bypass them. So we were not brave enough to use some risky options sometimes in the, in the build up and uh, choose too often to play with long ball and chip balls. And uh, this is not our side. And we looked, if I'm really honest, in the first half, even solid out of the game because out of the game we didn't allow them to have any chances. But we didn't have the control over the game and we allowed them to have too many set pieces. And if once we were playing with many technical players, with many small players and, and uh, also perhaps slim players. So in, in terms of uh, set pieces, we are not the best team in, the, in this league. So we need a bit more control over, uh, over the game. And then in, in the first half, 
although we didn't allow um, them to create chances out of the game, but we were two times bullied and, and set pieces. And uh, yeah, then to be back to another at halftime is, is really difficult, especially for such a young side, a newly promoted side. And I was pretty pleased with the reaction of my team in the second half because it's, I would say, it's even easier to start in, in this way, like we played in the second half from the beginning. But to do this in a situation where you're 2 0 down in the away game. Uh, was pretty impressive and, and we started then to play off football to dominate the game, to dominate possession. I think I just watched the statistic in the end, we had more than 60% possession, we had many, many shots and also several several chances in the first half, we didn't create any chance in the second half, we created a lot and my feeling was the second half performance definitely um, deserved to, to that we travel back with at least at least a draw, but uh, yeah, sadly the first 45 minutes were today to cr uh, crucial and uh, we have to accept the loss because uh, in the end uh, we also missed several chances. I think in the last minute, Sam Byron missed two shots. Also, a really good situation to equalize and would have been a precious point and unbelievable important point for us. Um, so we have to accept the loss and trouble. Uh, yeah, also disappointed. That's for sure. Puki turned the game very nearly in your favour, did he not? When he scored the goal, if he'd had a bit more service, possibly he could have got more out of the game. Yes, that's uh, what we what we spoke about. We need to bring, um, in general, so the game more into the opponent's half and, and bring the, the lads closer to, to Timo because he's always smart and, and really uh, dangerous with his uh, with his movements. And but in the first half, um, yeah, we we just played the long balls in terms of winning the headers and saving the balls. He's not the best striker, but if we bring more bodies close to him, who can play the through pass, the penetration pass, then we're looking pretty sharp. This is exactly what we did in the, uh, in, the, in the second half. It was also the plan for the first half, but we were not brave enough to choose this risky option in the, in the, uh, the build-up. So it's definitely a point, um, yeah, what we have to learn out of this game. So if I'm honest, we're playing with such a young side and so many players who are playing the first time on this, on this Premier League level and we just have two days to recover, long travel and then uh, difficult away game. It's not so e easy always to be on the top of your game. So. Uh, it's it's also quite important that we support them, that we don't criticize them too much. But this behavior, not to be brave enough in the in the first half, uh, was sadly today crucial that we lost this game. Why do you think there was a lack of bravery, that Because as you say, you've gone into the game on a very positive two games of being four points from six. Yes, it's uh, sometimes not uh, not that easy to uh, to explain. If I'm uh, if I'm honest, so sometimes it's more like uh, yeah, when the first two or three passes are there, not really concentrate. You have a loss of the ball, then it's more like you motivate the opponent to go a bit more intense into the pressing, and yourself start to struggle a bit with uh, with uh, confidence. Although the whole two days we prepared them for this pressing, we prepared them how to bypass them, and um, yeah, we, we had a clear plan how to how to do this, but. The one thing is to, to develop a plan and then the, the other thing is also for these young players also always to be on the top of their game and uh, yeah, sometimes you have to accept that uh, it, it, it is also for several players a bit like a used day and you don't come into to this game for that. We tried for example during the first half also to switch to human information to get a bit more control over the game. We got more control but we were not even there, we were not able to create more chances anyhow, so and for that um, we had also a few technical chains and also some personal chains at, at half time and I think it, it helped us a lot uh, during during the spirit, but not only the personal change, also like to support them to, to, to return back and to be brave, although we are too now back to, to our style, um, it was pretty impressive that we were willing to do this and sadly they didn't get the well-deserved reward, if, if I'm honest, because uh, it would be a better lesson if you learn out of this behavior, so 
for that um, we will speak about two half times so um, of course we have to criticize my players a bit for the first half but also to give them a lot of credit for the for the second half there we go there's city boss daniel farker on uh, norwich's physicality Let's let's talk about that second half then, because they were. I think it was a, a slight improvement. I think Alex Tetty certainly added something something to the party. Um, it it was, and I was just looking at some of Christoph Zimmerman's quotes last night. Pretty much said it, it was a little bit too little, too late in, in terms of their reaction. Yeah, and um, ultimately, you know, it might be very harsh, but uh, but easier to play when you're two 0 down and then the horse is bolted and uh, there's a freedom to it. You know, well. We might as well have a go, lads, because you know we're already in a very desperate position. Um, that's not good enough, is it? Particularly in the Premier League, you know. As Daniel said after the game, uh, you go in at half time two 0 down away from home with such a young side. Um, you know the chances of you pulling that back very slim. Albeit uh, the way that the second half panned out, once Timu Puki had brought them back into the game, they had more than enough chances. Notably in stoppage time, there was three I counted. You know, Emi Buendia has had a glancing header from Aaron's cross. That's on target. I think that's getting in just inside the far post. And then Sam Byram's had a couple of stabs and total lack of composure in the box. And, uh, you know, we might be talking about what a stirring comeback, what character these boys have got. And, and they do have those attributes because you don't get out of the championship in the manner they did unless you have that type of... Uh, you know, willingness to roll up your sleeves because it wasn't all plain sailing and, and champagne attacking football last season. But I think when you go up to the Premier League um, and, OK, Southampton are having their own troubles, you could tell in terms of where they are in the table, there was still that vulnerability. You could sense it in the crowd when Pookie brought them back into it. But ultimately, I mean, Danny Ings, he, he led Norwich a merry dance, I felt, in the first half. Um, you know, you've got Nathan Redmond in and around it and and, and Shane Long, another very experienced operator at this level. You know, even teams who are okay, maybe not fulfilling their potential, still have enough latent threat and quality about them that if Norwich, as they did, were far too uh, compliant in that first half, they will punish you. And um, yeah, I mean, the way Daniel wanted to package it was criticise them for the first half, give them a lot of credit for the second half, but that doesn't really wash with me. I think, you know, it's easy it's easy to play the game you want to play when you're two 0 down. As Daniel said, what was missing was a bravery to try and, and implement that from minute one. But then the counter argument which brings Daniel's, you know, set up into question is when they're faced with this threat, i.e. Burnley again, risk of repeating myself, Brighton, they don't look like they're capable of, of, of nullifying that. So is it more, you know, the coach needs to look at what he's setting up. And if he knows, as Daniel said, they knew for two days they worked on it, that they were going to be facing a very aggressive press from a well-structured team. OK, you've worked on it, but if the working on it is, let's go back to our philosophy, let's be brave, let's stick to our guns, and it's not working again, then maybe the coach needs to take his share of responsibility for that one because, uh, you know, it is a collective effort. And, and you would say in terms of, the coach, how he set them up and how they've gone out and, and obviously the players, how they haven't executed the plan. There's a there's a collective responsibility there for me. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the second half can paper over what we saw in the first half for me. No, agreed. I, I, I wasn't sure if it was bravery or quality. Um, and, and that's sort of a, a dilemma I've been asking myself for, for a lot of this season so far, which is obviously a, a concern. Um, this is also a concerning result because it, it means another defeat against someone who are in the round Norwich and, and, and we can relate back to that Watford defeat as well and 
Daniel played it down on, on whenever the press when conference was. Tuesday. Tuesday, that's it. Yeah. I was going to say Friday. I've got my days modelled up. We're all over it. We are, yeah. Um, and he, he downplayed that and said, look, a couple of games later, Watford have gone through another manager and, and we're sitting above them. But the reality is Norwich can't keep gifting three points to teams around them if, if they want to stay in this league, can they? No, and I saw another interview with another media outlet um, last night. Um, apparently Norwich have conceded first in ten of these games now. Um very difficult, very difficult to sort of a start picking up results and b then to do it in a consistent seam when you're continually having to come from behind um, and you're putting yourself in a difficult. It's difficult enough at this level, you know. If Norwich start on the front foot, teams are good enough that they will have spells and Norwich will be tested, as we saw at Everton. You know, as much as Norwich deserved to win that day, there was a little spell there in the second half. Um, Godfrey and Zimmerman were very good as I recall just after half time uh, Tim Krull when called upon um, so that's even when Norwich have got their noses in front and have played well so you flip it if you fall behind at this level as we've seen you know very very difficult to come back and uh, it it needs to change That that is clearly uh, a statistic that if it is to remain unaltered and they are continuing to leak the first goal then I don't think we're going to see too much in terms of difference in where they are in the league, which is is down amongst the you know the, the bottom two or three, increasingly in danger of getting cut adrift. And for me now, this period, I've said this before, Arsenal, uh, this seven games in December, it's all about for me coming through this spell. The year turns over to twenty twenty, and they're still in touch, and that might still mean they're in the bottom three, but within a, a win or. or you know, a couple of draws of hauling themselves out. If the gap is far bigger than that, turning into 2020, then very, very difficult to see how they can haul themselves out of it because uh, by that stage we'll be almost halfway through the season. In fact, we will be halfway through. um, And if the trends are still regressive, then you're leaving yourself too much to do. Even even if the penny drops in certain facets, i.e. maybe defending set pieces, maybe in how you beat a high-pressing team, by then, if you're playing catch-up to that degree, uh, in terms of the, the picture of what league are they in, then you have to say then the odds would be increasingly on them returning to the championship. And and that, ultimately, isn't going to surprise too many. I don't think most reasons Norwich fans would be hugely surprised if Norwich are back in the championship next season. But there's there's a way you can go down and there's a there's a... There's a way of attacking the, the the process of trying to at least stay up, and and I think if if Norwich just continue on this path, then uh, ultimately I think there will be a bit of frustration because then then it's not for me that they're okay. Villa was a, looked like a heavy defeat, and and the United scoreline as well, and Liverpool on the opening night, but I haven't really had the sense that well these players are out of their depth. Mm. These players these players are up against a far better than um, the the. the Financial disparity is too great to to bridge. Um, Fark is at his depth as a coach. You know what do we expect? It, I haven't really come away from too many games feeling that to be the case. Obviously Liverpool in isolation, but um, that only induces frustration for me that they're not that far away when they have managed to put it together, but they're just not doing it consistently enough. And their Achilles' heel is is continuing to be um, something that you know checks any real attempts at consistent forward momentum 
yes, but on, I, I think you're right because there, there have been, uh, and I speak about it a lot in terms of periods in games that they need to manage and, and you alluded to it earlier on and it, it just feels like in those moments yeah. that's when their opponents are scoring and, and Norwich aren't robust enough and Everton was a, was a perfect example of when they when they did do that in, the, in their favour and as you said there, the key word is consistency. They've proven they can do it at this level. You only have to look at the Manchester City, Everton, throw in Arsenal as well, performances, and Newcastle as well, yeah. um, that prove they can compete at this level. It's, it's just a case of whether they can do it over a stretch of games. And if they do perform like they did before that Everton game, uh, that spell they had there in, in terms of that run of game, and then um, on, on Wednesday night as well against Southampton, then that ultimately over a season is, is only going to mean they end up in one place. And of course... I think people will not be too surprised, but equally, as you said there, if they are cut adrift, I think it's four points at the moment. If, yeah. if that does extend, then that January window is, is going to become increasingly difficult for them to, to attract quality, isn't it? That's a great shout, yeah, which, you know, Stuart Webber will be well aware of that and, and the way him and his recruitment guys go about the task. They'll have scenarios for a championship season next season. They'll have scenarios for staying in the Premier League, but impinging on both of those is as you rightly say agents of respective players if they're approached in January do you fancy uh, coming to Norwich and Norwich are well adrift then if you're a player who's got anything about you and thinks your career belongs in the Premier League it'll be thanks but no thanks because the brutal reality is they will think well in six months time I've joined this club and then I'm off to with the greatest respect potentially Rotherham or Wigan uh, on a Tuesday night in October what's wrong with them <laughs> nothing at all nothing at all if anybody from Wigan or Rotherham are listening but uh, so but Stuart I think Stuart what he has said around the AGM when, when pressed on this um, but they know full well that anybody they bring in is almost with a twin track that could do a job in the Premier League but ultimately if they're back in the Championship that they could add value to a Championship promotion push which is what it would obviously inevitably try to be given that the stated aim, again reiterated at the AGM, is they want this club to be a top 26 club in the country, which is basically, break it down, you're either in the Premier League or you're in the top six, pushing for promotion to get back to the Premier League. Um, I'm not sure it'll make huge amounts of difference for the simple reason that, OK, yes, we know they have money available in January and they want to do a bit of business, but I don't think um, I don't think the gear would have been switched in this January window in terms of we're now going to start targeting 5, 10, 15 million pound players. So I think they'd still be looking to to pull off a gem or two, maybe look at the loan situation again, revisit that. With Patrick Roberts, um, they've already got one more loan they can do. He goes back to Man City, that's two. Um, th- there's a financial sense to those type of deals for six months. Um, so I don't, I don't think it makes a huge difference, but again, it probably would be a signal um, if they are cut adrift and, and the player that they attract is... Uh, well, you know, maybe young and up and coming type guys from leagues we're we're maybe not that well associated with in Europe. Then I think it, outwardly that is another signal that okay, yep, we'll continue to give it as best a go as we can. But we're now planning for the championship, so I think that's probably what you can deduce from from Norwich's transfer business when the window closes at the end of January um, and we, we reflect on who's come in the building. Um, and it has to be that way. You know, Stuart Weber again at the AGM, they cannot put themselves in the hole they were in in the January 2016 window when Naismith and Closer came in. They were the headline arrivals for big, big money and they were brought in to keep that club in the Premier League. It didn't happen. And as Daniel likes to say, 
they've been paying for the sins of the past ever since. So one thing we can categorically rule out is that we will see that type of business. It's going to be still very astute, very circumspect, and with an eye on a future that could be in the championship. Yeah, I think that's it. If you, if you gamble with those type of guys, then you're going to end up being paying big money, essentially, aren't you? Because, uh, as, as you said, the the mitigating circumstances around the potential relegation is, is going to make them uh, not want to arrive. Let's look ahead then. Sheffield United on Sunday. Um, is this probably the game that Norwich will have wanted least after what happened uh, last night? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Chris Ward, he will give them nothing and he will probably delight in coming here and turning them over given you know Norwich just lasted them a bit better down the stretch to lift the title because, you know, there was a point there where it looked like it might be swinging towards Sheffield. But, uh, and, and we're recording this prior to Thursday night's game. They host Newcastle United at Bramall Lane. Now they win that game, then they pitch up at Car Road, 11 points clear of Norwich, which I don't know what, whether that says more about Sheffield's progress than Norwich's um, fitful uh, productivity. But they are, for me, the success story of the season so far. You know, to essentially, like Norwich, retain the core of the group they had. They've made one or two astute purchases and underlying the, the financial disparity even between Sheffield United and, and Norwich. I mean, what did they pay for Ollie McBurney from Swansea? Big, big dough. Um, Norwich couldn't have done that. And uh, I know he's not started regularly. I think they brought in the lad, Lise Mousset, as well. Does yes. he come from Bournemouth? Yeah. Did they buy him or have they got him on loan? Uh, yes, they bought him, yeah. So that would have been decent. Another big well. fee, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and and those two have definitely made an impact. And um, But but within a template that we saw in the Championship, the, the, the way they play, you know, they're, they're unfairly pigeonholed for me as yeah, uh, just brilliant. a... Just a big brawny kind of direct side. I, I think they're quite. We're talking a lot about bravery, or Daniel was after the game. They're brave in how they set about the task. You know, they've they've carried the fight to every team they've played this season. They've gone away from home. They've got some great results. They've pushed Liverpool all the way. I remember seeing that at Bramall Lane and just got beat. But you know, we saw how they come back against Manchester United the other week. Um, yeah, that that I think possibly the worst opponent Norwich could face, but. Flip it another way, you know, if they do come to Carrode with an eleven-point advantage, then really the expectancy, I think, for most is that Sheffield can come, will come and win that game. So, Farkin needs to use that um, in in his favour that there's, there won't be any pressure or any added pressure or expectancy on Norwich's shoulders. And if you just go back to the Championship tussles, they were always pretty close and tight. It was a draw at Carrode last season. Um, they lost at Bramall Lane by the odd goal in three, but then the season before, the Battle of Bramall Lane, Angus Gunn and uh, and the coach driver, uh, <laughs> Chrissy <laughs> Wilder, Rant. Um, so they've always been quite nip and tuck affairs, but my fear is that we might be talking about set pieces again. And if we spend another game in the Premier League talking about vulnerability at set pieces, then that won't be good because you know it's it, difficult to try and get past something that continues to reoccur um, if you don't see signs of progress. And and that's for Farker, as I say, over the next days or period uh, leading into Sunday's game, uh, he needs to have another think about that and just what can they do? Because what we saw at Southampton wasn't an isolated incident in the first half. We've seen it at Burnley. Um, funnily enough, Sheffield United last season just popped into my head. I think they scored from a set piece at Bramall Lane um, from a corner. I think Tete got climbed above at the back post. So all through Farkas' reign, I would contend that Norwich have looked vulnerable uh, to teams who are good at set pieces. And uh, you know, if Farkas' answer is, well, okay, I accept that we're not the best at set pieces, but we need to be braver at what we do, then 
no, that's only going halfway down the road. I think there needs to be an acceptance that they need to maybe put some more focus into that area. Um, because there was nothing in that game. As Daniel said, in general play, yeah, probably Southampton was shading it. But I don't recall Tim Krull having to be required to do too much before those two set pieces. So it's almost like you're putting yourself by your own limitations on the back foot unnecessarily. And that seems such a criminal waste that it's hard enough to get points in the Premier League without contributing to your own downfall, essentially. Absolutely. That is uh, going to be perfectly poor. Sheffield United, of course, unbeaten on the road this season as well. So right. that's uh, that's another factor to to put into the mix. Of course, Chris Wilde is going to uh, be determined to, to come to Carrow Road and win, I think, given the situation. But as we said... They're, they're... Have, they, have they repainted the dressing rooms pink? <laughs> I think they have, haven't they? I think, the Prem, I think there's some Premier League directive that they can't yeah. have. Yeah. yeah so you won't be able to moan about that. <laughs> I wonder what he'll find to moan about oh, this week. Yeah, yeah, there'll be something else. Uh, that, that seems an apt place to wrap it up because we, uh, we have got a train to catch. So uh, okay. that, that seems like a, a great place to, to end it. I'll, I'll spare you of all the usual stuff that Dave runs through. I think he knows it off by, by heart, doesn't he, in, yeah. in terms of how to get involved and stuff. But, it, but you know all that already. Uh, you know where to find us on, on all the various platforms. And if you want to get involved, uh, you know where we are as well on should email. We, and... Should we uh, ask the lovely listeners to possibly lend us their reviews oh, of course yeah well there you go Paddy's asked you so you've got to do it now haven't you that's that's because because you very rarely ask them for anything very rarely yeah yeah I'm just a personal appeal if you'd like to leave <laughs> a sort of positive review not a negative review don't don't say in the sense of if, it, if it's negative this is the uh, Kings of Anglia podcast isn't it no 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 no. we're all on the same we're all on the same page now but in a sense of don't say uh, they're not very good at uh, defending uh, set pieces or anything like that you know just let's focus on the positive a bit like Norwich and uh, say their attacking play is lovely okay we'll go with that thank you very much for listening and uh, here's to Sheffield United on Sunday which uh, I think we can all agree is going to be uh, interesting I think that's fair to say we'll uh, we'll catch up with you very soon